0: Welcome back to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. We would all be liars if we said that we've never experienced despair or disappointment. This is common everyday currency for us. We all go through moments where we're bummed out, where we're going through a funk, and it's it's not exactly exciting. This isn't something that we want to show the world. We want to at least project this picture of ourselves that we have it all together, that there is nothing wrong with us, that we never have bad days. But if you're human, you're going to have good days and bad days. But so many of us can be in denial about it. We want to live our best lives. We want to be on the up and up all the time. We don't want to leave space in our lives to be down. But join me in this thought. Maybe, just maybe, the fact that you're down could lead you to seeing yourself in a healthier way. During the summer of 2018, Brad's family, they endured some of the worst days of their lives. His mom was suffering from an acute bout with depression. And she had always been like the sober-minded pastor's wife for three decades. I mean, she had always been a rock. And now she's suffered this severe emotional and mental health collapse. That summer, Bradley found himself sitting in silence because he couldn't cry anymore. He had no more tears left. Today, I'm joined by Bradley Gray. He is a pastor and the author of the book, Finding God in the Darkness, Hopeful Reflections for the Pits of Depression, Despair, and Disappointment. Bradley, welcome to the MercyCast.
1: Hey, Raleigh. Good to see you, man. How's everything going? It's
0: going well. It's going well. The last time we saw each other was in San Diego at the 1517 conference because it was interesting because this is this is a conference that's attended by many people who are Lutheran. It's not just for Lutherans. Anyone's invited. But when I heard that there was another person who was Baptist, I was like, oh, wow, I got to <laughs> meet this guy. And then we, we met and you came looking for me. It's like, it's like Baptists find each other. And and you were just like, That's
1: like, hey. right. We will we will always find a way to find each other.
0: <laughs> you're like, we have a lot in common. Can we be friends? And so, yes. I was glad to have met you. And then when I saw your book, I was like, Man, he gets it. I think we need him on the Mercy cast because again, we're about this idea that life's adversity can teach us to love other people, mm-hmm. but so many times we avoid adversity because we think it's going to ruin our lives when, in fact, it makes our lives more full if we're able to understand it and accept it and see it for what it is. So in your case, you came face-to-face with this with your family. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so as you said in the intro, 2018 was just a such a weird time for me and my family, it was augmented by the facts. And I talk a little bit about this in my book, just to give more context, but like my wife and I had just moved to a different location. I had just started this role as, as an assistant pastor. So there was already this feeling of like newness and transition. And then in the midst of all of that transition, so to speak, this veritable like bomb kind of was like left in our laps as a family, as my mom and my dad they live in uh, South Carolina, and I got this phone call that, you know, my mom had basically lost sense of reality. She had a a, a very severe bout with depression, and all a lot of her mental faculties were just put in this fog. And so much so that when I went to see her that summer, I, I flew up from Florida, and she didn't remember who I was. And Mm. it was a really difficult time just because if you've never been through something like that with either someone, you know, or someone in your family, or even you yourself, if you've never been through an experience, like it's very hard to explain. And like, even so my, my, me and my dad, we went to go see my mom as soon as I got to South Carolina that, that summer. And then when we came back at, at this, at the home where it was like my aunt's home or my uncle's home. And we were all just, the whole family, extended family, were just kind of like hanging out there. And I remember calling my wife and like, I will never forget this phone call because I called my wife because she's in Florida, not really sure what's going on. I was just like, Natalie, it's really bad. <laughs> and I just remember just breaking down. And i had never been confronted with that level of uncertainty and that level of um, discouragement and that level of, despair, and that level of not knowing even how anything was going to unfold after that. And I think what you hinted at a little bit ago, I think is so precise and on the point, which is just the fact that we like to mask that type of suffering and that type of despair. And I think we do so in, in, in two ways. We either pretend that it doesn't exist, so we kind of stuff it down. And that's that idea that we can't show our scars. We can't be vulnerable. So we want to hide that suffering. We want to hide that weakness and that vulnerability. Or, and maybe this is the same thing, but it takes a little bit of a different color. We pretend that that suffering is just an obstacle. It's just a hurdle. So we are, this kind of pits us in this role of sort of like Olympic hurdlers, where each bout with suffering or discouragement or rejection or what have you, whatever that might look like, it's just another obstacle that we have to get over to win the gold or to you know achieve whatever goal is in our life this is <laughs> uh, you know your greatest setback is going to be is just the preparation for your comeback and i feel like it's not technically and i would say not even biblically a healthy way to look at suffering neither of those pretending it doesn't exist or pretending that it's just an obstacle to help you achieve doesn't honestly look at a negative situation and confront it with how negative it is. We either are trying to twist it into just another rung on the ladder on our ascension to, you know, bettering ourselves, or we pretend it doesn't exist. We just stuff it, stuff it away and we put up masks and we put up this garb in front of everyone that makes sure that they they can't see how weak we are. And I think either way, we're not we're not suffering honestly, and we're not suffering biblically. And what this whole situation with my family did is confronted me with this honest view of suffering. Of if you want to use a Lutheran sort of phrase, we can call suffering what it is. We can look at it in the face and we can say that this this despair, this discouragement, this depression is indeed despairing and discouraging and depressing. And we don't have to pretend that it's not. And by the same token, the the good news of that is just in those despairing situations, when times are at our darkest, that's precisely where God is. That's precisely where grace meets us, where grace finds us. So, so, So contrary to this idea that grace is this reward for people that are able to achieve and overcome grace. Like, you know, I, I don't know who said this first, so I don't, sorry if I can't attribute this to the right person, <laughs> but grace is like water. It always flows to the deepest point. And yeah. that's exactly what I found in, in, in the aftermath of that summer. So in a way, I'm not glad to have been through it, but I am thankful and I am grateful for the perspective on life and and suffering and and hope too and that I was able to glean and you know the 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 amazing blessing through through all of this of course is 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 my mom has made no short of a miraculous recovery um and it's been um years in the makings it's it wasn't quick it wasn't immediate um and it was you know things that in, in certain Christian circles, which maybe we'll get into, but in certain Christian stripes, um, you know it, it dealt with a, a heavy dose of, of therapy and and medication and those sorts of, of, of elements of healing, um, along with uh, f- sort of finding that faith again. And so I can gladly you know and thankfully say that the Lord has done a miracle in in my mom's life, and I would hasten to say in, in my family's life, too.
0: Well, and as you were describing that, I thought that there are, there are many camps when it comes to suffering. There are a lot of people who are just trying to figure out what to do with it. But what I've found is there are some people who, when they're blindsided by suffering, they just have kind of a more negative view of the world. And they're just like, things will not get better. This is how life is. As soon as you accept that life sucks, then you'll be fine. Nothing's ever going to go our way. Well, maybe don't stay there. But what you said about suffering honestly, I think that's so important because when you suffer honestly, you're saying, no, this is bad, but this is also not my identity. This is where I'm at right now. This doesn't mean this is where I'm going to stay. And I think that's important. You talk about that idea of calling a thing a thing. Like, this is what's happening because I think when we minimize suffering, we're like, oh, I'll just get through it. It happens to everybody. It's not that big of a deal. Everyone's <laughs> suffering. It's a tough time. That was what you were hearing in the pandemic. And it made mm. me crazy because people were like, no, we're all going through things. Well, yes, you're 100% right. And that can happen when we're not in a pandemic. We're always, mm. always going through things. Everyone's going through things. But that doesn't mean that what you're experiencing doesn't matter. Mm. That doesn't mean that what you're experiencing is less than what someone else is experiencing. Your emotions and your experience matter and should matter not only to people, but they matter to God. Like God cares for you. You know, his eye is on the sparrow, and if a sparrow falls, he sees that. God cares about us regardless of our experience and he is emotionally connected with us. And so you're experiencing this moment where your mother is going through something and it's emotionally impacted you. I had a situation like that in my family where something happened to my mother when I was in seminary and the effects are still ongoing, but it happened to her and it impacted me. I remember when I first noticed what was happening. I didn't know how to engage it emotionally. So I kind of shut down for a while emotionally. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I did some work to, to heal in that area. But I think seeing that my mother and my father, for that matter, were not, they were not impervious to pain. They weren't indestructible. When I realized mm. that, that messed me up. And so mm. as you've been experiencing this and accepting it, for you, what is it meant to suffer honestly?
1: That's a great question, Raleigh. For me, it's sort of it goes back to what you hinted at, which is that each of our situations are, you know, they're unique and yet they're not at the same time, which is just to say one of the most amazing quotes or 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 statements that I found when I was preparing my book that really helped me understand in the book called The Noonday Demon by Andrew Solomon, he is talking about uh, quite extensively about depression itself and he says i think it's in chapter 5 i can't remember which one but he says in in that book that depression is like a snowflake which is the sense that the sense that each one is in, inherently unique each case of depression is very unique to situation to context to upbringing to environment and all those sorts of things and i would zoom out and say that suffering itself is very much this the same way Uh, it's different in terms of your personality your chemical composition your environment your upbringing your biases your beliefs all these sorts of things they compound to make your bout with suffering inherently unique and yet that's what's fascinating is because the same holy spirit ministers the same grace to each unique setting and so therefore i think this creates this disconnect sometimes where we think that oh, oh just because my situation i was able to you know overcome this through these certain means doesn't always mean they're always applicable to someone else and i think this is somehow where the church has done a, a poor job is is not treating each situation of of suffering and dis- despair in a unique way, and not just, here's some ticks and tr- tips and tricks on how I was able to get through this. Rather, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit as declared through the word of Christ, that's the malleable agent, so to speak. It's not our abilities, it's not our habits, our routines. Those are the things that I don't think are always you know, one-to-one applicable to everyone else. What is, is the word of Christ it's the ministry of the Holy spirit who is able to minister his grace to whatever darkness you're experiencing. And it is, it is not going to change the way that that grace is ministered to you, but it will perhaps be different in experience. So for me, it was coming face to face with this reality. Like, Like you mentioned with your own, with your own parents is that there's a, A a, a fragility that is in all humans. Mm -hmm. And that fragility isn't something to be afraid of. That's precisely what God has come to redeem. So I too am looking forward to, like, you know, that verse in Romans where it talks about how all creation is groaning for a redeemer. And I think when we see bouts with depression, mental illness at, at large, suffering in general, we're seeing that play out. We're seeing the fractured nature of creation sort of rearing its ugly head. And this is what makes us cry out for a redeemer. And thankfully, that's precisely who who Jesus is. He's this redeemer who, as it says in Hebrews, is very familiar with our weaknesses, with our frailty, with our iniquities. And for me, what I was able to apprehend during those seasons of very severe discouragement is, is just that, is this savior who meets us at the bottom.
0: You talk about this idea of how grace flows to the deepest point. I don't mm. know if I've ever heard that, but I like it because it's in those moments when we are going through something dark and we don't want anyone to look at us. We don't want anyone to even know what we're experiencing. But to Mm -hmm. know that grace can get all the way down there, that Mm -hmm. God cares for even that, that thing that we feel shame for, that thing that we're running from, that for God, as he redeems us, he redeems the whole person. He redeems good and bad. He redeems us from things that we can't change on our own. And he says, as you are, you are loved and you are loved because I lived, I died, and I rose for you, and I did that because I love you. And mm-hmm. I think that is so important. And as we talk about these deep wounds that we carry, this pain that we carry, it reminds me that vulnerability because that's what this is, right? Like vulnerability is in a very real way a gift. And I think it's a gift because not only does it al- allow us and enable us to connect to God in a very rich way, recognizing our Dependence on God, but it absolutely connects us to every other human being on the planet, no matter what you're going through. I mean, come on, like you're human. You are human just like everyone else, and you have vulnerabilities. And when you're running from them, you might be missing an opportunity to accept it and then through it connect with other people who are frail. And I Mm -hmm. loved how when we kind of connected on, how both of our moms have suffered, mm. that was a connection through vulnerability that we've both experienced. And now we're able to connect on a deeper level. Yep. And I think if we paid attention to that, we wouldn't have to ask the question, well, how do I connect with this person? And what do I have in common mm-hmm. with them? Well, first of all, you're human. And second of all, crap happens and you go through it. And <laughs> if we center on the fact that, yes, we all have experienced despair to some degree. We've all experienced some forms of depression or being down because of what others have gone through or what we've gone through. And if we accept that and understand that that's part of our experience, then we're probably going to start showing ourselves a little bit more grace Hmm. and maybe show others a little bit more grace. How have you seen yourself show others more grace as a result of what you've suffered?
1: Yeah, I think great great question but also i think this is the byproduct of what suffering honestly does i'm not saying that i you know did that very well <laughs> but <laughs> i think what you were talking about is so poignant to the church only because sometimes i think the church has done a bad job at finding connection points at our achievements rather than finding connection points at our weaknesses and this is where i would go back to the book of second corinthians where paul opens up and he's talking about being comforted by Christ. And then therefore, we can, become, we can comfort others by the comfort that, with which we have been comforted by. It's this good vortex, if you will, this good sort of circle of you being comforted in your despair and you being able to minister that comfort to others who are despair. And this is why he culminates that in chapter 12, where he says, I will, glor- I will more gladly glory in my weaknesses. This type of language is not the language of someone who is glorying in their righteous achievements. He's glorying in his weakness, again, because that's where grace flows. That's where Christ is. He's in our weaknesses. And so I would say very, very accurately that there is a a greater sense of patience with how the Holy Spirit is is working in someone else's life. At least that's how I've been able to 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 ascertain and to see that this person is going through difficulty, but I still know that they believe. I still know that God has them in his in the palm of his hand, regardless of of what fruit they're bearing or not bearing in that particular moment. And I think it frees us to be patient. I think it frees us to be Very understanding that difficulty, again, difficulty takes unique colors and unique hues in different people's lives and their battles are going to look different than ours. But thankfully and gratefully, it's the same grace that can be ministered to each of them. And I think we don't have to rush the process of someone, you know, getting through grief or getting out of whatever despairing situation is. We can be patient with them because God's with them and He has them in better care than we do. But I continue to think about. I think it's I think it's Chris Rock, the comedian, who has that bit where he talks about whenever you meet someone for the first time, you're not meeting them, you're meeting their representative.
0: Representative, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I think that that's very true, way more true in the church than I think we realize. And again, it comes back to that mask. It comes back to that that idea of putting on airs. We, we want to stuff down our weaknesses. And I think this is what makes the gospel as declared through the apostle Paul, but all throughout scripture, so poignant is the fact that it frees us, it, it liberates us to take off those masks and glory on our weakness. And this is what makes the church this is a refuge for people who are broken. It's not this hall of people who've made it, of people who've Achieve something. It's a sanctuary for people who've bottomed out. And we can comfort each other in the comfort with which we've been comforted by through the word and the spirit. And I, I would say that connection on that point in particular is way more palpable and way more profound than anything else.
0: And you mentioned this idea of when we understand where we stand in light of the gospel and we understand where we stand in light of what happened post-Genesis 3, (laughs) that life just goes awry, everything goes wrong, sin has exacerbated our vulnerabilities, and now life is harder, work is harder, everything's Mm -hmm. more tricky and more complicated. And as we understand how the gospel has intersected that and Christ brings redemption, he's buying us back from this brokenness, we're able to be more patient with other people because now we know where we stand. But I would say the counterpoint is in those moments when people are suffering around us, you learn a lot about your friends when you bottom out. You learn Mm -hmm. a lot about your friends when you suffer because you find out, is this friend like a good time Charlie? Or is this friend, are they going to walk through everything with me? And you kind of see, and you also see, this might be a season in my life where I'm a lot because I'm addressing a lot of my life or I'm facing a lot. But I found in those moments when I'm impatient with people or when I've experienced people who were impatient with me as I was suffering, it often can indicate that in that moment, there may be a lack of awareness of what God has done in their life through the gospel, if they are Hmm. believers. and. There may be a lack of awareness of their own experience. And and maybe they haven't suffered in a way that's debilitating. Maybe they haven't suffered in a way where they've cried all of their tears. But I promise you, it's coming. And so, as we engage people, it's important to know that, like I've said before, like people are people and there's a good chance that I may be in this person's shoes. And so, how do I care for them in a a way that is cognizant of the gospel? How would you say that we could connect to the gospel in these times, in these moments where we're seeing someone go through something and we're just thinking, "My gosh, will you just get over it? Will you just freaking just move on?"
1: Yeah, I would to that I would say that this is where a a, a where a high understanding of the fact that we aren't able to achieve any of the outcomes that we desire comes into play. This is that idea of like coming into the brick wall of the law, it should, <laughs> and this is why that, that the ministry of law and gospel is so important. Because with this idea that, hey, just get over yourself, just get over it, that's coming from this view, this understanding that person themselves are able in their own ability that they have, they themselves have the capacity to get themselves out of whatever quagmire they find themselves in. But in fact, that's not true in that we are grossly powerless and impotent and we can do nothing apart from grace. And so to the person who's talking down to the sufferer, There's a gavel of law that is probably going to be coming their way either through the word declared or through some such situation. But this is, again, where long gospel is so important, where the law tells us what we are to do. And then we are, are, it is clearly evident that we can't, this word from the outside, this word of promise is given to us and extended to us for free in the person and work of Jesus meets that Meets our despair and meets that moment of great dejection when we realize that we can't, and that in Christ it is already accomplished on our behalf. So again, I would usher people. I would want to encourage, encourage folks in in that realm to to read and and understand, but to become familiar with the law gospel paradigm of understanding what God's word has to say because it it tells us and it shows us every, the bible is quite simple to understand and i don't mean that as i don't mean to make it elementary or i don't mean to talk down but it it shows us everywhere man's disappointments in man man is always going to be disappointed over you could look at the lives Of all the great patriarchs, and they suffer disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, whenever oftentimes they are trusting in their own acumen and their own intellect and their own ability to uh, move forward. And then always, 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 God meets those times of disappointment with great grace and mercy. Even when the perpetrators are the ones who have put themselves in those predicaments, or when People suffer as victims of great and horrible tragedy. It is regardless, God is always meeting those people with his word of promise over and over and over again. And that that God has never stopped doing that, even in our own day, I would say as well.
0: I remember being part of a church years ago, years ago. And one of the things that everyone at this church said would they would quote Joel and they would say god will replace what the locusts have eaten god will replace what <laughs> the locusts have eaten and really they're focusing on this picture of redemption and i'm sitting there i'm talking to a guy and he had just shipwrecked his life i mean completely culpable made some terrible decisions and he had bottomed out and he was saying you know but i i believe that sometimes god Will replace, in a sense, what we've fed to the locusts. And really, God can redeem us even when we are the people who've done the thing that has resulted in our lives falling apart, because that's the human story. Yes, things happen Mm -hmm. to us, but things also happen through us. We do things. We can hurt ourselves and other people just by trying to save ourselves. That's the story. When we're on these self redemptive paths, we will wreck. We will wreck ourselves, we will fail, we'll falter, we'll hurt people, all because we're trying to protect ourselves at a deep level. And really, when we do that, we won't be in a place to protect others. You mentioned this idea of law and gospel, and I love that because as we look throughout the canon of scripture, we see words of law, we see words of gospel. And We've already talked about how law can kind of expose a thing for what that thing is. It's not like, well, it could be. It's like, no, this is it. It's very clear, (laughs) very black and white. And I've heard it said this, that the law diagnoses the issue. It's like that doctor who looks you up and down. He's not really caring for your feelings in that moment. He just cares about the truth. He cares about your health. And so, or she, and they're looking at you, and this doctor's like, I'm going to be honest. This might be tough to take, but here's the rub. You're not well. And because you're not well, some things are going to have to happen. And this is where your life's headed. That's the law. But then the gospel is this idea that where the law diagnoses, the gospel delivers. And yes, this is true about me. And I think, I think even confession is this idea where we're accepting the truth about ourselves and we are agreeing with God who already knows about that truth. And we're saying, God, like, okay, I get it. I see it. I see what you've seen this whole time and help. And the gospel is the personification of that help. It's that deliverance. It's that we can't do this on our own, but it comes from outside of us and we are set Mm -hmm. free when we couldn't fix what was wrong with us. Mm -hmm. And One thing about really the the way I try to live my life is I try to think in these terms of law and gospel, because if not, then it's very easy to lapse into perfectionism, which is just living by law. Yeah. It's like, okay, as long as I am perfect, then I'll be loved. As long as I am perfect, then I'll be accepted. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Jerry Bridges, but Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Transformed by Grace. It was one of the first books that ever exposed me to this idea. And he said, if you feel good about your relationship with God when you're doing well, that's one thing. But if you feel terrible to the point that you can't even pray or want to go to church after you've sinned, then that tells me that you don't understand grace at all.
1: Hmm.
0: Because you are loved in your sin as well as after your sin, and you don't have to get clean on your own you are clean because of the word god has spoken to you that word mm. of grace and and i think for us as we're thinking through depression and disappointment how do we apply law and gospel
1: how do we do that i think it comes back to this notion of the gospel being objective and i think that is for me uh, and for sufferers when you're in the midst of suffering Everything feels fraught with tension and uncertainty, and everything feels unstable. Everything feels like it's like it's a stack of of Jenga blocks, and everything is just going to uh, one wrong move, and everything's going to come crashing down. Or it's already crashed down already. Either way, everything feels very unstable, and 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 sometimes we can hang out this idea of love and acceptance and the approval of God in Christ as almost like this carrot dangling at the end of the stick to motivate us to get out of suffering, as if yeah. it's not already true for us already. And this is why when you read the Psalms and, and David is crying out in anguish uh, about how God is his rock and he's his refuge, this should preach the gospel to us only because the gospel is an objective reality that's already happened. In Christ, your absolution is already, your, your hope of redemption is, is already been bought and sealed with the blood of God's own son. It's not this thing that's waiting for you to accomplish something or achieve something or get over something in order for it to be true for you. Even if we feel that way in the moment. And so this idea that to motivate sufferers to get out of their suffering, we got to preach the law to them. No, actually, we need to preach the objective, solid reality of what our hope is. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 talks about the fact that our hope has already gone behind the veil. The, the Hebrew writer talks about the idea that in Christ, our great high priest, he's already gone in behind the veil of the holy of holies, and he himself is our sure and steadfast anchor, because not only is he the priest, he's the sacrificed. He, he's the, the only high priest who sacrificed himself on the altar of all of our shortcomings and failures and all of our sins. And therefore, that's already true. So, when we sing that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I pray that we stop and realize, especially as as ministers, as preachers, as perhaps clergy or whatever denomination or stripe you're in, that's an objective reality that's already happened. It's not up in the air. It's not up for grabs. This should change how the word of promise is delivered. It's not a motivating stick or a carrot at the end of a stick. It's not some sort of that we hope to put at the end of a finish line So once you get over all the obstacles and hurdles Then it's yours This is true for you Right where you are In the midst of where you are However dark your present moment might be However despairing you might be There is an objective truth That grace has declared for you In the person of Jesus And in my own context it was this just new reality for me when if I, I don't know why it took so long or it took this type of situation to get me to realize this but the the objectivity of what christ has accomplished on the cross is this new way of interacting with god himself because the it so it, to jump off your jerry bridge's quote from transforming grace in his other book, The Discipline of Grace, he talks about that same notion, this good day, bad day vortex, as if on our good days, when everything's going right, God's going to treat us with more grace and a little bit more favor because everything's going Mm. good. And then on our bad days, he's going to treat us with a little less grace and a little less favor because everything's going badly. And this has this idea that God is on the seesaw of favor, the seesaw of patience. When no, what does the objective truth of the cross teach us is that God is eternally patient and gracious and extending mercy to those who are desperate for it. On our good days and on our bad days, the same Christ is preaching to us the heart of God. That's what's being displayed for us on that cross. And so, uh, applying this law gospel reality to sufferers is just this, it it comes through this message of what Christ has accomplished has already been accomplished. (laughs) It's not unsettled. As Jesus said, it is finished. And and, and that's the hope for sufferers. No matter what suffering they're they're going through, the it is finishedness, if I can say it that way, of the cross is what preaches to us the hope that we can cling to, no matter what type of darkness we are being assaulted by.
0: And if you're going through something right now, you probably don't feel like you can muster much up. And it's in these moments where the hmm. law says, "Okay, you've got to you got to fix yourself. You got to save yourself." Or it hmm. shows you the problem, and then that's your knee jerk reaction. That's your reaction to the law of well, I got to fix this and I got to save myself and I just don't have the energy. And so it's very easy to just get mired in this funk to get stuck and get paralyzed. But what I love about what you're saying is that's the truth about the gospel. You don't have to muster anything up. It's objective. It's outside of us and it is finished. It is done. And it's been done for you, Christ for you. That's one of the most, those are the most beautiful words I feel like in the English language that, <laughs> that Christ is for me because it's so easy when we're going through something to think he loves everyone but me or maybe it's hmm. something I've done or maybe we get stuck in these spirals when he's saying, I love you and this is what love looks like
1: hmm.
0: and I did this so you didn't have to because you can't do this. <laughs> and we are made right because of what he has done on our behalf. And so, I think that's just such a good reminder for any of us who are going through something right now that you are loved, and God has shown his love for us in the cross. And so, Bradley, as I've really enjoyed this conversation, and as we're kind of in our final moments, how would you encourage our listeners who they are going through despair? They might be facing disappointment. Maybe they didn't get the job they wanted or maybe someone in their family is sick or maybe they are sick. How would you encourage them right now?
1: I would open up and, and maybe this sounds too trite, but honestly, I would read some of the psalms and read them as if you're the one praying them. Only because the the honesty of the psalms allows us to understand that our frustrations are, are not surprising to who God is. They're not catching God off guard. They're not putting him in, in a situation where he is not sure of how to respond when we are hurling accusations at him regarding our circumstance or condition. And I would say, um, be, be vulnerable with God himself and the Holy Spirit as you, as you pray and as you unload all of this all of this hurt and pain, God's shoulders are able to handle it. Um, you can be confident in that. You can be confident that God can handle no matter, or no whatever, whatever circumstance you are in. It, the verse in First Peter that you know, cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Literally, whatever care that you have, whatever burden, whatever weight you are sh- trying to shoulder. God's shoulders are probably way better at carrying it than you are. And, and it, even in the midst of all of our frustration, um, we don't have to be the ones to, to figure it out. We don't have to be the ones to find answers. Part of the hope of, of suffering is in letting go that responsibility and understanding that in the gospel, it's God who finds us. In the midst of whatever darkness we're going through, whatever discouraging season we're going through, whatever bout with depression, there's a God who runs after the wayward ones, who runs after the lost ones, who runs after the weak ones and the hurt ones. That's just who he is. And if you've been given a wrong caricature or impression of who God is, that's who God is. He's the father who runs out to the prodigal. He's the shepherd who runs after The lost lamb, he is the God who is at the bottom of the lowest ladder sitting with you in the ash. And and Mm -hmm. as you try to pick out the shards out of your arms after your life has just wrecked, that's who God is. Again, grace like water always flows to the deepest point. And that's who God is. He finds us in those deepest and darkest moments. And he shows up. And he finds us and he brings us to himself.
0: That's so good. Bradley, thank you so much for being part of this, for being on the MercyCast.
1: Thank you, Raleigh. This was a privilege and an honor. And uh, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to chat and have this time to spend with you.
0: If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.